following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Uh, Today's reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 28. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you when you received uh, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he also appeared to me, as to one abnormal born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whenever them it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what ye believed. But it is preached that Christ has been risen from the dead. Has come, has come some of you to say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no re- resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead but he did not raise Christ from the dead in fact if the dead was not raised then uh, for if the dead had not been raised then Christ had not been raised either and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile Uh, you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people who must be pitied. But Christ has indeed been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the death comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed in death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under his feet, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be in all. This is the word of the Lord. 
I'm now going to invite Hannah up and I'll pray for her quickly. Father, please open our hearts up to what Hannah is about to say. May her, her words be full of wisdom. Amen. Good evening. My name is Hannah and I am the youth missioner here at St. Nick's. Would you pray with me before we begin? Lord, let your Holy Spirit come. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On Easter Sunday this year, I left the house while it was still dark at 4.30 a.m. and headed to Durham Cathedral for their dawn service. Now, if you've never been to the dawn service at the cathedral, you are in for a beautiful and glorious and oh-so-very-long service. The service lasts around two hours with baptisms, confirmations, Holy Communion, and a sermon. The orders of service are basically a short novel, um, and as we were getting to the end of the service this year, I suddenly realized something really terrible. We had not sung an iconic Easter hymn. Starting to panic, I heard the bishop announce that we were going to stand for our final hymn, and the whole congregation in unison flipped over the large orders of service to the final page, and there we saw it. Thine be the glory. I heard a loud yes from the person behind me as we stood to declare these glorious words in that old Easter hymn. Let the church with gladness hymns of triumph sing, for her Lord now liveth, death has lost its sting. Death has lost its sting. As we come to the end of our sermon series on 1 Corinthians, we wrap up this letter with our final passage, which deals with a basic claim of Christian faith, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, to really understand what Paul is saying in our text, and with the hope of mimicking the two-hour service at the cathedral, we must begin not in Corinthians, but in Genesis. So just bear with me. The younger youth have been working our way through the Old Testament, each Sunday looking at the big story of God's redemption. Every week, we begin by summarizing the story so far. The way we summarize Genesis is like this. God created the world, and it was good. God created humans, and they were good. God and humans walked together in the garden. But then humans turned away from God, and sin entered the world. In Christian thought, this is often referred to as the fall. The youth of St. Nick's prefer to call it the great slide. Sin enters the world and the forces of evil and death infect everything. Humans are separated from one another in sin and strife 
and we were also separated from God by our sin. This separation culminates in the greatest separation of them all, death. See, throughout the Old Testament, we get a picture of God constantly reaching out to his people, but the forces of death prevail. We find stories of murder, of women tortured, assaulted, and killed, of slavery, of genocide, of division, of strife and war. Even within God's chosen people, sin and the forces of death prevail. Sin enters the world and it touches everything. There's no question here, death has a palpable sting. And this picture of sin and death that we find in both the Old and the New Testament well, I guess it actually doesn't look that different to the world that we sometimes see around us. The forces of sin and death are here too. We might ask, has death really lost its sting? We're two and a half years into a global pandemic where 6.29 million people worldwide have died. An incalculable loss. In Britain, we've watched this week as a report was published showing politicians partying while thousands died alone. Has death really lost its sting? The war in Ukraine rages on. Families have been forced from their homes. Cities have been destroyed. Families are now separated by borders and death. And so we ask, has death really lost its sting. This week, parents dropped children off at a primary school in an ordinary day in Texas. 19 children and three adults didn't make it out alive. Children's bodies torn apart by bullets from an assault rifle. In the same country, only eight days earlier, 10 people were killed while picking up bread and milk at their local grocery store. The forces of sin and death infecting even innocent locations like schools and grocery stores. Has death really lost its sting? The list goes on and on. I don't need to tell you that sin and death are real. We see the reality of these forces both in scripture and we see this in the world. In our passage tonight, Paul grapples with the core belief of Christian faith that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day and that he appeared to the disciples. And it seems that this is a truth that the church in Corinth is really struggling to grasp. It's as if congregants are saying, Jesus was really raised from the dead? I mean, I doubt it. Resurrection doesn't really happen, does it? 
we're all reasonable and rational people, and reasonable and rational people don't believe in such fanciful claims. Or maybe they're saying something like, well, maybe the resurrection did happen, but you know, it's more like Jesus rose in our hearts when we think of him. And if we're honest, as we've walked our way through Corinthians, there are commonalities between the struggles of the church in Corinth and the struggles of Christians today. The claim that the resurrection didn't literally happen is not a claim that's isolated only to the church in Corinth, but it's probably a sentiment that we're somewhat familiar with here too. Say here broadly, not here in our church. In 2018, a prominent Christian said this in an Easter interview with a leading newspaper, and I quote, for me, the message of Easter is that love is stronger than life or death. That's a much more awesome claim than that they put Jesus in the tomb and three days later, he wasn't there. For Christians for whom the physical resurrection becomes a sort of obsession, that seems to be pretty wobbly faith. What if tomorrow somebody found the body of Jesus still in the tomb? The issue with these arguments, as Paul highlights in our passage tonight, is that we know death is real. Therefore, a metaphorical resurrection just doesn't cut it. Look at verse 13 and 14 if you have a Bible near you. Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If there is no resurrection of the dead, rather simply, death has a sting. If Christ is resurrected only in our hearts or our minds, if the core tenet of Christian faith is really just a nice metaphor, death always has the final word. The forces of sin and death have won. Sin reigns and we are forever separated from one another and from God. If Jesus wasn't really resurrected, there's no restoration of humans and God. Even the Son of God experiences this separation through death. In this picture, God is overwhelmed and defeated by the power of sin and death. Even more so, in this picture, none of us are saved from our sins. Look at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. In this picture, death's sting is the everlasting call into the cosmos. And as Paul says in our passage, in this picture, those of us with hope in Christ, well, we're of all people most to be pitied. 
we know death is real. And death can't be defeated by a metaphor or an explanation. The American theologian Stanley Hauerwas puts it like this. God does not give us explanations that make our dying something less than death. He does not give us an explanation. He gives us his son. Paul is stressing in our passage tonight that Christ really died. He wasn't just incapacitated for a while or in a really deep sleep. Christ died. He died for our sins. He was buried. And he was raised on the third day. And he appeared to his friends who testified to seeing his resurrected and wounded body. This isn't a spiritual resurrection. This is a bodily, fleshy, real resurrection. And in Christ's resurrection comes all of our resurrections. Look at verse 21. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This is God's almighty defeat of the powers of sin and death. Through Christ, the forces of sin and death don't get the final word in our world, and they don't get the final word in our life. In Christ, we are restored to our creator. On the cross, in the empty tomb, death has well and truly lost its sting. But the good news doesn't just stop there, though. Christ's death and resurrection is not an isolated, self-contained event. Paul highlights this in verse 20 when he says, Christ is the first fruits, i.e., this is just the beginning in it. Jesus' real physical resurrection is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. Jesus' real physical resurrection is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. You see, throughout the whole of scripture, we wait in anticipation of the day when God and humans are reunited in the age to come. The age when God will finally restore his people to himself the age where God and humans would share life together again like they did in Genesis, the age where sin and death don't reign, the age when children can go to school without being murdered, the age when oppression ceases, the age when we are not separated from loved ones in death, the age when we finally stop crying out, how long, O Lord? This age to come begins with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This doesn't necessarily happen all at once. It's happening gradually. Look at verse 22 and verse 23. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong with him.
it's happening now. The kingdom of God is breaking in now. But we live in this time of now, not quite yet. Jesus is resurrected and the kingdom of God is being ushered in. But we're not all the way there yet. So how on earth do we live in this now, not yet? How do we live when we know Jesus' resurrection was real, but death is also a reality that we all face? To illustrate this, let me tell you a story of when I was an undergraduate student. As an undergraduate, I often spent nights all night in the library. I was often writing papers into the early hours of the morning. And I have to admit, this wasn't a comment on some weird nocturnal sleep schedule, but more a comment of my incredible ability to, procra to procrastinate. I'm sure none of the students here relate at all to what I'm talking about, but I would spend a lot of time with my friends, I would read books that weren't related to my assignments and watch too many Netflix dramas, and I would pretend the looming deadlines didn't actually exist. If I didn't look at it, it wasn't really there until the day or two before the assignment was due, and I couldn't ignore it any longer. When we as Christians proclaim Death has lost its sting. At the same time that we see the forces of sin and death around us, we don't do so in an out-of-touch, naive, death-denying way. In the face of suffering and evil, we're not people who are looking away, pretending that death and evil don't really exist, shouting, Eureka! everything is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. We don't do that. So how can we proclaim death has lost its sting in the face of death? Well, we live into what we know to be true. And that's what Paul is telling us to do. We know that death is real, but it's followed by a full, it's not followed by a full stop. It's followed by a comma. Because Christ really died, was actually buried, and literally rose again. In verse 24, Paul highlights this further, saying, the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he is destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So we're in this time where the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. We don't deny the reality of death, but we do get to speak resurrection life here and now. We get to live as transformed people, knowing that sin and death do not have the final word in our lives or in the world. We get to hold out resurrection hope. And in doing so, in confidence, we can honestly sing, let the church with gladness 
hymns of triumph sing, for our Lord now liveth, death has lost its sting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever.